Hail and well met, everybody. Welcome to Geek Thyself, a show by nerds, for nerds, who love geeking out over random facts and esoteric trivia. My name is Heather. I'm Russell. And we'll be your hosts for this journey through the wondrous land of information. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Geek Thyself. Hello. It's, we're doing the thing again. (laughs) It's us with the thing. Oh, it's been a long day, (laughs) but let's carry on. (laughs) For both of us. Uh, Yes, a little bit. Okay. So, Geek Thyself, the podcast that we do every week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) We we speak English really well right now, guys. We're so great at it. We're so good. Okay. (laughs) So... Uh, this week, uh, we decided to jump back to a topic that we touched on, like, related topics before, like mm-hmm. with Roman. I think we did Roman before? We did Greek mythology. It was Greek. That yeah. was what it was. But it relates yeah. very strongly to Roman, so we kind of touched on both. It, yeah. But we also touched on this one a little bit, which is Egyptian, which is mm-hmm. stuff that we know a little bit more about after maybe doing a bit of research <laughs> because it's been a while since I've looked at this but yes. hey it's fun to go back over it okay agreed so. although yeah I think it's been a while since either of us actually studied Egyptian mythology but we both enjoy it mm-hmm. did you like ever study it uh, during like your like your education is was it something that was taught like in that like or was it kind of touched on and then you had to sort of do it yourself it was touched on a little bit. So Egyptian mythology, I, I think we talked about it last time, how like the Greek and Roman mythology was just kind of glossed over in terms of like Greek history. And Egyptian mythology was somewhat similar where it was just kind of glossed over and mentioned, but it wasn't like necessarily a full-on course of study. Um, but I also, to be fair, I went to a private school when I was in um, what when I was in um, elementary school and middle school, I switched over at the end of middle school and into high school and went to public school. But before then, I was at a private school. So I don't know if the curriculum would have been different if I'd been in a public school. Mm. I might have learned more. I'm not sure. That's interesting. How old do you think you would have been when you learned about that? Um, Because... I'm just curious if it happened around the same kind of age that is all. I think I was probably around 12. Okay, so you would have been a little older than me. 10 Uh, or 12, maybe. Yeah, I learnt it between when I was about 8 to 10, so. Okay. Yeah, Uh, again, so it was very, it was very (laughs) history-light at the time, but I was just generally curious about it anyway, so I I, I had to look at it elsewhere to, Mm -hmm. to get it. Same. And honestly, I mean, to be fair, generally speaking, European schools are a little bit ahead of American schools. Um, I don't know about that. Uh, well, to be fair, yeah. I don't have ever, mm-hmm. I don't have any experience at schooling. So. Uh, well, if you if you <laughs> look at like worldwide test scores, America's mm. not at the top. Uh, I don't think the UK is either, is it? No, but I think you're ahead of us. Oh, didn't know that. <laughs> I'm fairly certain. 
But this is off topic, as it's one of our ta- it, tangents that we're so good at. I mean, yes, it is. But it, it's to do with schooling and when we learned about this. So I was a little younger when I started learning about this. Mm-hmm. And you were slightly older. And then you, branched out from there. Yeah, yes and no. So the thing about Egyptian mythology is that even though it wasn't heavily taught in school, um, I grew up in San Jose, California. I've mentioned that before on the show, but in San Jose, there is a museum called the Rosicrucian Egyptian Museum. Um, I don't know a lot about the Rosicrucians. My understanding is that it's a type of like religion and or an order, kind of like the, the Masons or like an Elks Lodge sort of thing. I don't know a lot about it, so I might not be getting all that information correct, so don't get mad at me if there's any Rosicrucians listening. But, um... They have an Egyptian museum in San Jose near the Rose Garden, and it's, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's on par with, like, some of the crazy fancy ones like the Smithsonian or something, but it's, it is known to be a pretty good Egyptian museum, and they've got a lot of different information on mythology. They have a recreation of a portion of a tomb. Oh, that's, that's cool. Um, they've got lots of mummies. They've got, um, you know, the hieroglyphics and images and a lot of jewelry and various things. And um, my dad is a huge history buff. So growing up, even if I wasn't learning it in school, I watched a lot of History Channel specials and stuff. And there were a lot on Egyptian history. And we'd go to the Rosicrucian Museum and see stuff. So I learned some there, too. So it wasn't necessarily mythology specific but i did learn about egyptian mythology and history and stuff because of those factors um my brother and i used to joke that we knew more about the history of the bible than some of our christian friends just because of our dad's love of the history channel to be clear for anyone who's listening i specifically mean the history of the bible so like who wrote it what kind of studies have they done what do we know about the actual time period during which the bible was being written i don't mean what happens in the bible i'm not going to claim i know more about that than a christian but the history of where the bible started and came from specifically is what i'm referring to uh that's that's really cool uh in regards to museums in the UK for that kind of thing, mm-hmm. the, the the main one is just the Nash, National History Museum, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which you know covers a bit of everything. That like there are like smaller exhibitions for other things around the UK, but you'd be hard pressed to find like actual items to be looking at. If that makes okay. sense. Um, yeah. Well, you guys also don't have as much space. Look. <laughs> Well, no, I don't don't mean anything by that. I just mean legitimately there's not as much space for you to have large museums. Like, I I spent time in Yorkshire, which is arguably one of the least populated areas of the... Yeah, no, you could make that argument. The the main part of England, because there's a lot of farmland and a lot of moors and dales and things like that. And um, even there, there wasn't really anywhere that I could picture like a museum going, not in any of the towns. 
Yeah, that, that, that's fair. In like the sort of metropolitan areas, uh, museums, but the 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 the, more, the most impressive ones are in London. Mm-hmm. I, I have been once. It has been a very long time. Uh, I remember <laughs> enjoying it immensely. Uh, when I went, I remember them having a display of a sarcophagi with a, a mummy inside it, but like the the top was sort of like like held up, mm-hmm. so you could see like all of it. And, like, it was kind of uh, depressed into the floor, so you could get, like, a massive view of it, uh, and it was amazing. Uh, there was also similar things in Egypt, which is where I learned more about everything from a first-hand experience, because when I was very young, uh, we went to Egypt, which oh, that's cool. was, yeah, uh, I had already shown more than enough interest <laughs> at this mm-hmm. point and we went one because it's a lovely place to go at the right time of the year and two because I would it would adore it and I did I got to see Tutankhamun's mask and mm. go through pyramids and go into actual tombs uh, cool. which is ridiculous yeah um, you know before the mask actually got ruined which mm. still hurts me deeply yeah, so I ended up learning more about the culture and, like, I guess the things that you can't read, if that makes sense. Like, as in, like, how mm-hmm. difficult it can be to be there. Uh, I don't think I had the opportunity to appreciate fully for what it was. I was still quite young at this point. But I definitely enjoyed getting that first-hand experience from the people who cared enough to sort of safeguard these places that yeah, that learning about that kind of thing mm-hmm. I can uh, see that and of course they have amazing museums with quite a few more items as you'd uh, maybe guess because it's their country <laughs> I would assume well mm-hmm. if well okay not if when you come back to mm. California and visit us in northern California <laughs> I yes. will have to take you to the Rosicrucian Museum because I think you'd like it a lot and there's a lot of stuff there that's really cool I think I'd like that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be fun to to go exploring a museum with you. To be fair, <laughs> I think I think if anyone from Nerdsmith wanted to explore a museum, it would be you. Oh, absolutely! And I'm I'm one of those people that annoys the, everyone else who's with me because I actually want to read everything. Yeah, no, um. I do too. I don't skip. I don't skip ahead. Luckily, I read I, fast, so that helps. <laughs> I I don't. <laughs> Is the issue, uh, but no, I don't tend to skip things because then what's the point in even going? Uh, yeah, no, Again, I agree. That's a that's a different tangent. So Egyptian <laughs> mythology, which is where we're focusing this mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. What? Okay, uh, a good question. Sort of leading to this would be what kind of piqued your interest, like to get looking into it more? Um, to be honest, I've always liked mythology, just in general. I think for me, though, one of the things that really piqued my interest about Egyptian mythology was the actual depictions of the gods, because a lot of the other mythologies that have big pantheons, you know, like Greek and Roman and Norse, those three, for example, are, you know, perfect examples of what I'm talking about. And honestly, even Japanese mythology, in all of those cases, the gods and goddesses more or less are just humans. They, they might be slightly exaggerated versions of humans, but they're just humans, where or at least in appearance. 
Whereas in Egyptian mythology, you had a combination of a human and an animal. And yeah. being, it was much more common with that with their mythology, yeah, I get you. Yes, and being such an avid animal lover, for me, the idea of having, you know, a cat goddess, for example, no big surprise to yes. anyone, a, you know, uh-huh. things like that, I was like, oh, that's really cool. Yeah, no, I can definitely get behind that. Okay. So that's kind of the big draw for you. I can totally get that because the way the the ancient sort of Egyptian hieroglyphs and all that sort of stuff were drawn, it's so distinct from anything else that, mm-hmm. you, that you see. Like, there's a certain style that everyone kind of understands. And, yeah, no, I can totally get that. Yeah. Uh, How about you? Yeah, uh, for me, it was really the kind of depiction of their afterlife and Mm. the process to get there and the whole mummification like everything that went into that to to you know to protect the body and how the organs went into their the jars i can't remember what they're called now canopic oh canopic jars thank you but like each one had a specific god representing Mm -hmm. them and like each one it was such it was very ritualistic, obviously. Mm-hmm. It all was... And this was done, obviously, for royalty and pharaohs and stuff, but it could also be done for anyone who wanted this kind of thing. Well, who and could afford whole, it? Yes, who could afford it. And then, uh, you, obviously, from transitioning from that into like the weighing of the heart mm-hmm. against the feather. Just the whole process really... Like stood out as something that you didn't see in any of the other mytho- uh, mythos is if that if that a word mythos is I think it's just mythos. <laughs> it might be just mythos, uh, but it was still something that you didn't really see. No, like, I there agree. was obviously there was obviously obvious uh, a path into wherever you ended up. Yeah, but this one felt so different to all of the rest of them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like with um, Anubis. Um, being in charge of weighing the heart and all that kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, uh, basically, if you don't know what the, the weighing of the heart is, um, essentially, uh, as you arrive in the afterlife, and this was everyone, uh, yes. but kings uh, and pharaohs and queens commons, and commoners everyone. and nobles, yes. everybody. Although it was part of their belief that if you had followers, if you could afford a pyramid to be buried as your tomb, and if you were mummified, you had a better... No, no, better is the wrong word. Like, it, it looked better on you, I suppose, is, is how you'd describe it. Mm-hmm. Kind of like um, it just gave you a slight yeah. advantage. Yeah, like, uh, you, you wouldn't have that if you hadn't lived... A good life and be blessed by the gods in your like in your mortal life. I, I guess is maybe how that is seen. Yeah. But essentially, you arrive. Your heart is then weighed against a single feather on scales. If the feather weighed more than your heart, uh, you were given passage into Valhalla. I can't actually remember if it was Valhalla. Um, um, I mean, it's kind of their version of it, but I don't think it's called yes, Valhalla. No, 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 I don't think it is. But uh, yeah, uh, but if your heart tipped the other way, then you would be unfortunately 
your soul would be forfeit. And obviously your heart represents all the good and negative deeds that you've done throughout your life. And they weigh up against how heavy your heart or light your heart would be. Uh, mm-hmm. And just that whole concept, it it was weird, but also tangible. Like, you could understand it a little better. It was much more than just, are you a good person? Are you not? Yeah, well, it's also, it was a visual. Like, yes. it was something you could picture. Like, where where do I land on the scales? How much, have I, how much am I of one or the other, good or bad? Um, another thing that I always really liked about Egyptian mythology is Ma'at. This idea yes, that, my hat. Yeah. that there's like a balance to the universe, basically. And it's a, it's a mix of the chaos and the order, specifically order of the world. And um, that it's the, sort of the fundamental order of the universe. But there's a balance to it. And the gods were basically in charge of helping to maintain that ma'at, maintain the order of the universe. Which I thought was cool. As opposed to, like, in Greek and Roman mythology, it's more like each god was in charge of a particular thing, and that's all they did. And in this case, obviously, the, in Egyptian mythology, the gods and goddesses also have, you know, specific areas that they were primarily in charge of. But as a whole, they worked together to maintain Ma'at. Yes, uh, like, everything came together to work as... B- uh, better than the sum of their parts. Yeah, mm-hmm. th- I can definitely see why that would appeal to to you. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it appeals to anyone. Like yeah, like that we're all taught that teamwork is how we should live and we should be able to work together, even if sometimes people can't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, uh, but, I'm a team player. <laughs> yeah, I like to think I am as well. But maybe when my heart gets weighed, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, uh, I wonder if that's an interesting sort of thing because I, I sh- I'm sure there are people who still believe like follow that as a faith if that makes you know. I'm sure there's at least some who follow it at least partly I do know that um, you know other religions like Christianity and Islam definitely swept through Egypt and pretty much all of the Middle East and so My understanding, at least, I having not done in-depth studies of those areas personally, is that for the most part, Islam and Christianity and, you know, depending on what section you're talking about, also Judaism are the sort of the big religions there now, but that there are still smaller groups that might incorporate the old traditions or still worship them to a certain degree. That makes sense. I also just uh, looked it up. Um, their uh, paradise uh, was called the Field of Reeds. That's right. Yes, uh, because it was bugging me why I couldn't remember. Uh, something that w- wasn't really talked about too much, uh, especially when I was younger, because it's a bit horrifying that if your heart was too heavy, it was devoured mm-hmm. uh, by a mutt. Uh, I, I think I'm saying that right. A M U T. Like you said, a god with the face of a crocodile. Like, because that was something that came aqua- uh, came yep. quite a bit. Like Anubis had the head of a jackal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ra, the sun god. I think it's an eagle. I think it's it's difficult to tell, but it's it definitely was a bird of a, prey. 
yeah, it was a bird of prey, um, um, and then had a celestial sort of icon above their head in their, all of their sort of mm-hmm. dis, uh, dis, descriptions. Yeah, and well, because uh, um, Amun was the sun god. And then eventually over time, because one thing that gets missed a lot in Egyptian history that I think is very interesting is that there were technically two separate kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And then at a certain point, or well, they called it the upper and lower, the upper and lower kingdoms. But at a certain point in their history, the two of them merged. And when they merged, some of the slight differences they had between the gods and goddesses and the two different sections got tweaked. One of them was that, I don't remember which one it is right now, but one of the sections had Amun as their sun god. The other one had Ra. And so when they joined them together, they kind of glomped Amun and Ra together and created Amun-Ra. That's, yep. Uh, it's, there's an awful lot of random things. Oh, not random things. Just some things that when you hear them after a while, you're like, yeah, that, that, that happened. Well, and it's things like the goddess Bast. So before the merge, she was referred to as Bast. And again, I can't remember which section of Egypt she was favored in, but basically, um, the, in in the mythology, if you go through and look at everything, Bast has a sister Sekhmet. Sekhmet has a lioness head. Bast has a cat head. Sekhmet was like the warrior fighter woman, and Bast was more gentle. However, before all of that, Bast also had a lot of warrior tendencies. But then after the merge between the two kingdoms, um, other goddesses were favored as like the warrior goddesses and she got downplayed a little. And that's when her name started getting referred to as Bastet instead of just Bast because the, the et at the end, turning it from Bast to Bastet was a indicator that she was slightly lesser. Okay, I didn't know that. Because mm-hmm. I'd obviously heard of Bastet. Mm-hmm. I, I assumed that they would be connected in some way uh, because of the similarity in them, but I didn't know that they essentially got uh, demoted. <laughs> yeah, they, she, they are technically the same, Bast and Bastet. The difference is just that Bastet is how she was referred to after she lost some of her power, quote-unquote, after she was slightly lessened in terms of her importance, that's when she became referred to as Bastet instead of just Bast. Interesting. Okay. Uh, one final thing, I think, before we sort of go into our break, mm-hmm. is that when, like, the, the the concept of a fate worse than death or a, a, a negative uh, afterlife didn't exist for Egypt... Uh, if your heart was devoured, you just ceased to be. Mm-hmm. That that was it. Yep. Yeah, it's a bit extreme. It, 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 I mean, it, while it, it is extreme, is it any less extreme than being damned to torture and you know that 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 environment of uh, misery? I, I I don't necessarily think it's. The worst fate? No, it's not the worst necessarily. I think it would depend on who you asked, though. Because for some people, the idea that your soul continues to exist and you're just tortured for your misdeeds 
versus the idea that your soul is completely just gone. Like, depending on who you are, I could see one of those being more disconcerting than the other. I guess. I I can understand why the the thought of none of you existing would be scary or scary or definitely disconcerting if not some in somewhat frightening mm-hmm. because again fear of the unknown all that kind of thing so yeah I, I still think that out of the two options I, I think I would prefer that if I wasn't a good enough person but the whole point is that you try and be a good enough person to mm-hmm. to, to avoid that bit exactly okay so uh, that's kind of wrapping up on the the judgment after having all of your organs removed, then being taken there, and whether you leave or you don't. Um, it's also recorded by the god of knowledge, who again had animalistic features with uh, another bird uh, head. Yes, um, it was yeah, uh, I, Thoth. Yeah, I'm not sure how to say it, but thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Thoth. It's T-H-O-H. It's not the easiest yes. one to say. And he had the head of an ibis, I believe. I don't know what that is, but I know it is a bird because <laughs> of how yeah. it looks. It's um, the ibis. It looks a little bit like a stork. Almost like it's, okay. it's a very tall, yeah. long-legged bird. And it lived in the Nile and had a, like a really long beak. Yes. And... Uh, fun fact about them just before we go is that they are as old as all of the older gods and if um, there's been like connections of uh, them between them and um, Hermes uh, as in they uh, were, were used as an intermediary between the gods when they had disputes or uh, issues because of how wise and how Right, uh, how widely regarded their knowledge was mm-hmm. in, in general which you know uh, it's nice that it, there's an attainable goal for somebody who likes just collecting knowledge <sighs> okay yes right so yeah I think with that we should probably jump into the mid-roll yep or, or 20 minutes break. later <laughs> <laughs> yeah alright so we will be back briefly after this uh, we'll catch you then right <laughs> Hi everyone, welcome to the mid-roll. So to start us off, I'm going to talk about World Anvil. So for anyone who hasn't heard me talk about World Anvil repeatedly every single week, it's an amazing campaign management software online, as well as a way to just sort of organize your storylines and create a world, whether it be for a book or your D&D game, anything like that. It's a fantastic resource and it's the most robust campaign management software that's out there. I haven't personally tested them all, but Logan from the network pretty much has tested every single one. And in terms of having one that's online and available and has a lot of features that are fantastic, such as linking characters and describing their relationships and saying how much they care about each other, things like that, as well as just being able to enter articles on your religions and the people of your world and the actual layout of your world in the different countries. It's just amazing. It's worldanvil.com and I definitely recommend you check it out. Yeah, 
Okay. Uh, also supporting the network and has been for so long and we're very appreciative uh, is Die Hard Dice. Die Hard Dice produce wonderful, beautiful metal and polymer dice. They produce their own Spellwinder series, which we talk about a lot because of how mm-hmm. gorgeous they are. All of their metal dice are their own molds. So uh, whatever you see from them is stuff they have put together themselves. They are wonderful people, for, for, for one thing. Their dice are gorgeous. They're coming out with more things as soon as they're ready to release them. For Pride Month, they released a frosted and unfrosted versions of some of their metal dice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can check those out. They look gorgeous. They also recently reduced, released their Scroll of Rolling, which we talked about as well. can yep. hold two full dice sets. becomes a rolling mat, so you can take that away with you. And you can have D&D wherever you need it to be. And that's amazing. Which is everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. You need it everywhere. Okay. Uh, if you would like to have a look around, that's dieharddice.com. If you do find anything that you'd like to purchase, great. You can use the code GEEKTHYSELF to get 15% off your first order. That's 1515. Uh, and if you want to roll with the best, go to dieharddice.com. As we are very, very near the end of June, uh, we're going to mention this once more. Uh, we, yes, we are still uh, having pre-sales for our first ever official Nerdsmith pin, Mm -hmm. which we released for Pride Month, which is a beautiful little dragon's egg with all the colours of the Pride Rainbow. We're so close to the end of the uh, pre-order period, and why that's important, if you don't know, is because all of the pre-order revenue that we would make from them, or that Nerdsmith would make from them, uh, is going to be donated to the Trevor Project. And the Trevor Project are amazing because they do so much for LGBTQA youth. They set up counselling. They have a 24-hour suicide line, uh, a suicide prevention line. They are amazing at what they do. They help so many people, and all they want to do is help more. We're very happy to give to them. Do you have anything to say about that, Heather? Um, yeah, definitely go check out the Trevor Project. It's the thetrevorproject.org. They do amazing work. If you happen to be an LGBTQ plus youth and are looking for people who are supportive or maybe for people who are like you or if you have questions or need any help, they're a great resource. They've even got their own social media platform that's just for LGBTQ plus youth. Also, if you would like to order one of the pins that Russell described, Um, You can go to nerdsmith.org forward slash pride. And like he said, all pre-order proceeds for the month of June will be going towards the Trevor Project to support the amazing work that they do. All right, and now with that all mentioned, we'll get back into the episode. Mm -hmm. Okay, so getting back into Egyptian mythology, there's so, I mean, just like with Roman and Greek and everything. There's so many gods and goddesses. I'm curious who your favorite is that you know of. Favorite. Okay. Or or That's even if they're not your favorite no. necessarily, who no, no, do you no. find the most interesting? Um That's a really interesting question. Um I Okay. There's a few that kind of argue for that spot. 
uh, on like design looks. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think my actual favorite, if you can have a favorite god, would be Anubis, just because of how interesting their role is in the the mythology itself. Mm-hmm. Like the guardian of death, who isn't evil or good, uh, they just will. Uh, the, the scales will make a determination based on that. They're they're not there to punish people who don't deserve it. It's it's like the it's just like the essence of neutral, true neutrality. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and it's just like so their role just really interests me as a thing. Uh, uh, the runner would be the god of knowledge, which again I can't say because words. Thoth. Uh, Thoth. Thoth. Um, uh, they both interest me quite a bit. Uh, just because of their sort of basic roles and how they interact with everything else. I actually have um, a small model, not a small model, uh, a small statue of Thoth uh, from when I was there, uh, which still stands on one of my shelves. So, uh, although his little tablet which he's writing on has broken because um, it, mm. uh, it fell over a few times, mm. um, I still have it. Uh, and uh, I, I so I feel like if I didn't mention them at least that I would be doing that a disservice because they definitely spoke to me on some level when I was younger so uh, yeah because I remember picking them out specifically as the one that I wanted to get yeah no what about you um so I think I have two and I've sure uh, no big surprise to anyone who's paid attention to me ever one of them is Bast Yes. Um, the goddess uh, of that, cats. <laughs> yes, that doesn't surprise me. Uh, I suppose, uh, while we're just on that, uh, I suppose we didn't mention that cats are extremely uh, symbolic within the whole mythology. Mm-hmm. So, yes. Yeah. And I'm just, given what I know of early human history, I suspect that at least a portion of it has to do with the fact that cats could kill snakes and scorpions and other things like that that would get into the houses in a desert climate like Egypt. Also, um, any rodents or anything that would get into the food stores, cats are obviously going to go hunting after that. So it's no big surprise that cats were seen as sort of protectors. And then Bast, the goddess of cats, was also known as being a protective goddess. She could protect your household. She would protect people. It wasn't uncommon for them to wear amulets of her likeness for good luck, especially during days that were supposed to be bad luck or something like that. And she was also um, uh, in, again, Bast, not Bastet, because she got kind of downplayed later in her existence. But as Bast, she was also um, sometimes pictured even holding a knife to fight with. And she would fight the Chaos Serpent. Um, I don't know how you say this one. I don't know if it's Apep or Apep. But it's A-P-E-P. So because of all of those things, you know, and she's a cat. So, of course, she's one of my favorites. (laughs) Um, The other one that I like a lot is actually Bess, B-E-S. He's the god of dwarves. But he's also a protector of households, of mothers, and of children. And he was supposed to be basically like the ugliest god in Egypt, more or less. Like, he was so ugly that he could use it to scare off evil spirits kind of thing. 
And so he would be on amulets and things like that as protection for the house or for protection for people in the house. And um, part of it is that they had, Egyptians had a belief that anyone who was born different was sort of mystical or magical. So as opposed to, you know, some cultures where someone who was, um, who had dwarfism or someone who had some other sort of birth defect that was a deformity would have been considered potentially evil or like devil infested or demon infested or something like that. In ancient Egypt, they were considered to be mystical or magical because they were like God touched, which I think is really cool. But also he was known as a God of like the common people. So he was a God that would watch over like com the common men and women and children. He wasn't like a God that the nobles necessarily invited in. He was like the everyday dude protector, which I like. Yeah, that's always nice that, that you can find something like that because obviously there's a big focus on the, obviously like the pharaohs and mm -hmm. the, the, the royal line in that kind of sense. So it's nice that the, there is someone for like what would be classed as lower people at the time. <laughs> All right, okay. Is there anything else that really interests you that we could probably talk about before we wrap up? Um, I mean, there's so many things. One thing that's interesting, but that I think a lot of people do know, is that in Egyptian mythos or religion or whatever term you want to use, it was believed that you could take things with you into the afterlife. Yes, uh, which is why the uh, people's pyramids were buried with their mm -hmm. money, their material possessions, even sometimes uh, servants who gave their their lives to be uh, mummified with their with their pharaohs. Which mm -hmm. is how much of that was voluntary uh, is questionable. No one, I don't think anyone really knows. <laughs> no, it's it's difficult to tell. Sometimes you hope that it's voluntary. You but... hope. But yeah, eh. yeah. Um, the other thing, though, a lot of people think it's strange that the Egyptians have so many mummified cats. If you like look through their tombs and everything. But like I mentioned, in their mythos and their belief, cats were protective. They were protectors of the household and they protected the food which the people needed to eat. So be that's partly why they were revered so strongly and then on top of that there's the you know a very important goddess who happens to also have the head and sometimes body of a cat and so yeah so that's why so many of them were mummified and preserved that way is because the people respected and loved them and cherished them for the help and protection they felt they were provided by the cats and they wanted to take that with them into the afterlife and kind of keep the spirit of the protective cat around, and so they'd get mummified. Yeah, it's interesting how sometimes cats got a better funeral than some of the people that they worship. Uh, that, uh, worshipped is perhaps a strong word. Revered. I, I think I like your word, revered. Uh -huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, um, with that, then I guess we'll talk to you guys next week. Yeah, if you have any uh, questions or things like that, feel free to let us know. Uh, if if you want to just share other things that you find out, cool. We're very happy to listen to you <laughs> uh, because we're always <laughs> happy to be learning. 
you can uh-huh. get in contact with us on the disc on the Nerdsmith Discord if you want to chat there. We're we're fairly active there. There's also our Twitter, which is geek underscore theyself. Yep. Uh, so you can uh, tweet at us or message us and stuff because the messages are open there and one of the two of us will get back to you uh, when we can so yeah other than that just thank you for listening us, uh, to us ramble about Egypt for 40 minutes <laughs> yep we'll talk to you soon bye guys alright bye Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Geek Thyself. Don't forget to check out all the other amazing content on the Nerdsmith Network. If you have any questions for either of us, you can get in contact with us on Twitter at geek underscore thyself. You can also email us at geekthyself at nerdsmith.org. And please don't forget to go to iTunes and leave us a review or also go anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next week with another informative and fun episode. And until then, don't forget to geek thyself. When finals are ahead or class is getting you down, you can count on WAND Radio to be your study solution. Send us your questions about magical mishaps, or tune in for the latest music on the mythical airwaves. Make sure you tune in for the latest tournament results and where to find the best parties on campus. Or maybe the latest test answers, too. You don't even go here. Never let your schooling interfere with your education, Rupert. W-A-N-D Radio. Magic, music, and mayhem. On nerdsmith.org, or wherever you download your podcasts. We are not inciting mayhem on this radio station. That's a terrible idea. How could you think that that would work?